Blog Talk Radio. Welcome out there to all of our friends in Blog Talk Radio land listening to Off the Shelf. Uh, I always like to let you know we have people who come into the show midway through the show, then you miss the first part of the part of the show. But for those those of you who are just tuning in, there's still time to tell your friends and your relatives. And this, this show, as many of our Off the Shelf shows, that you will get advice and tips. I tell people that if you had to go to a workshop and pay for this or go to a professional and pay for it, you be you might have to dig deep into your pocket for some of the things that have been shared for free right here at Off the Shelf. But this show in particular is going to focus on ways to transform your life. So this this is something anybody at any age, I was listening to uh, Tavis Smiley on PBS last night, and a guy, how, I mean, it, the change in his life, and I'm talking extreme change, how it can come out of nowhere when we're ready. So I want to tell you there is still time, still time for you to share this this blessing with people that you care and know about and you think might benefit from a life change or just starting to prepare to receive a life change. And then they can tune in by dialing 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347-994-3490. They can get in through iTunes. They can get in through the chat room. They can get in, again, by dialing 347-994-3490. And Off the Shelf is available in other directories, other ways that people can connect to the show from around the world. And our, and our guest today uh, is is actually da- connected in from New Zealand. So as she, she was telling me uh, it's like 3 in the morning heading for Sunday in New Zealand. So we really appreciate her and are excited about what she's going to share. For those of you who, who you're going into the 12th year with us, I just want to pause and tell you how much I appreciate you and thank you again for those who are tuning in for the first time, I also listen to online radio, and I'll be listening and saying, who is talking? So I always like to introduce myself. I am your host, Denise Turney, and I'm an author of several books, and my latest is Love Pour Over Me. And I encourage you to go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me, either in ebook or print form. And other books I've authored are Portia, Long Walk Up, Love Has So Many Faces, Rosetta's Great Adventure, and Spiral. But the, the the newest is Love Pour Over Me. And I want to drop a thought in, in into to your mind this morning, just something for you to chew on today and maybe over the next couple of days. And this, the thought for today's show is when you feel like quitting, think about why you started. That one actually is for me. I'm just not reading it thinking, okay, when you think, when you feel like quitting, think about why you started. So I, I encourage you, that's a, that's a thought uh, uh, for you this morning. And now we want to go and meet this special guest who I've been talking to you about. And uh, for years our, our guests would come to us through publicists, and I, I was we were booked out months in advance. And, and I said, you know what, I want to go out and start uh, uh, getting some guests that I think also would be great for the show, and th- this person is one of them. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Patty Clark. And Patty is a she's a speaker, an English teacher, a workshop and a workshop leader. And her work spans the globe. She's in New Zealand right now. And she was born in San Francisco. Patty has a Bachelor of Arts in Social Sciences and a Master of Arts in Education. She has taught English at several colleges and universities, including the University of Wisconsin Madison. She is the author of the book This Way Up which is what we're going to focus on today. And you can check Patty out, and I really encourage you to do so. You can check her out online at thiswayupbook.com. She kept it simple. It's spelled exactly how it sounds, T-H-I-S-W-A-Y-U-P-B-O-O-K, thiswayupbook.com, 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 and she's also at Patty Clark. Dot org, and that's P A T T I C 
C-L-A-R-K.org, pattyclark.org, or thiswayupbook.com. We are absolutely honored to have this holistic and impactful writer and speaker with us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Patty. Oh, thank you so much, Denise. Thank you so much for having me and for that lovely introduction. And I love that topic. Oh, wow, it gave me chills when you said that. If, you think about, if you're thinking about quitting, remember why you started. Or, or I can't remember exactly how you said it, but that just gave me chills. What a great topic. Mm, yeah, it's, I started a couple of uh, shows ago. I said, you know what, start with a thought to just drop into people. And who it's for is who it's for. And you'll know if it's for you. So, Patty, this is a question that we ask on Off the Shelf to every guest to give them a little backstory to the guest. So let's feel a little connection with the guest before we launch into the other questions. So can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners what it was like for you growing up in San Francisco? Well, I'm 58 years old, so I grew up in the 60s near San Francisco. So it was a real tumultuous time. <laughs> um, and I, I actually grew up in the suburbs in Redwood City, um, so it wasn't right in the city. But there was, there was a lot happening in, in the 60s and early 70s um, around San Francisco. It was um, an exciting time. Um, but in my, in my particular household, to be honest, Denise, it was pretty chaotic. I grew up in a really dysfunctional family, um, a lot of alcohol use and um, a lot of chaos around, and there was chaos in the culture around us, and there was chaos in my house. So that was part of the reason that, that, that I eventually became who I am, so I don't, I don't regret it, and I know that my parents did the best they could, and they loved me, but um, it, was, it was tumultuous, I guess would be the best adjective. Wow, you know what, you, you made, when you, there's a, a woman's group that I'm in, and that topic his his uh, alcoholism is like a top topic right now. And then for you to say that, and then I was watching uh, Doctor Phil uh, a day or so ago, and then he was saying again how his his father had struggled with that. So that topic is coming up. Uh, thankfully, I didn't grow up like like that. I'm told the struggles of it is a pretty uh, just it, it, it it's amazing when we go through the show. You it'll probably come up again how even our childhood experiences. They keep shaping us even when we're adults. Now, you also worked as an English instructor. Where did your love for writing come from? Well, I've always I've always enjoyed words. I'm a real wordsmith. Um, and <laughs> funny that 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 does come from the tumultuous upbringing I had. One of my survival techniques was learning to spin yarns with with words and and use words to get myself out of trouble and and uh, I, I learned to do well at school um, as one of my survival techniques and a lot of that was in English and playing with words and I became a journaler pretty early on that was one of the ways that I could um, sort of externalize my feelings when I had a lot of chaos going on in my head and, and things were going around and around like that uh, hamster wheel. One of the ways that I could cope was to sort of take that out and put it on paper. So I became a journaler in my teens, and I'm, I'm a committed journaler now. I've, I've done it throughout my entire life. And to be honest, one of the reasons I became an English teacher was to travel. Again, leaving ah. in order to leave the chaos that was my childhood, I um, started teaching English as a second language in order to travel and get away from where I was living. And I started um, teaching English, first of all, in Alaska. And then after I taught in, um, English as a second language to refugees in Alaska in the early 80s, um, I got a job in Japan, and then I used my um, English teaching and traveled around the world for about five years t- teaching English. You, uh, I got to tell you, when you said 
you I I'm 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 listening to you and I'm thinking, you know, I think her mind is a, is is creative or different in this way. Who would think to do go into English to travel? I, I I've never <laughs> even till you said that, I never made that connection. I I could see going into the Peace Corps, I could see uh doing some type of work that you you know you you can't stay where you are to to do the work. English seems to me like you're never going anywhere. <laughs> think so. You you just you you just kicked that door in. Good for you. Good for you that you were able to make that connection. I never would have made that connection. I I wanted to want to ask you. A lot of our listeners, they are writers and a lot of our listeners are people who we all have a story to share who want to uh, uh, share a story. But not only that, not from uh, like a, writing a memoir, but we have people who are entrepreneurs, and one of the ways that you promote market businesses today, online, blogging, it, you have to have content. So I wanted to ask you, as an English instructor, in what ways has writing for the Internet, this is what I hear as a freelance writer, you have to write differently because you're writing for the Internet and the writing is different. How has that changed writing as a whole, for better or for worse? Well, uh, as a whole, that's a hard one to answer. I mean, what I notice with blog posts, and, and this is just me personally, I certainly wouldn't say this as a um, as a as a rule, but what I what I notice a lot with blog posts, and I'm guessing this is true with you, is that the ones that I'm attracted to are the ones that are authentic. So the ones that I can feel someone's um, emotional. Um, angst or the the emotional excitement when I can read a blog post and actually feel that person and feel that connection with their words that they are able to um, emote something that feels authentic to me those are the blog posts that I love and so what I think is interesting with with um, blog posts and writing is that the the I, I guess what the Internet's done is it's connected all of us. So when I read somebody else's um, life and I can connect, I feel, um, yeah, I feel that connection. And I guess, that's, I guess that would be it, um, Denise, is that what I think writing on blogs has done is help to create more unity. And those are the ones that I'm connected to. The blog posts that I'm not connected to, to be honest, are the ones that are extremely grandiose, that are, that are talking a lot about, oh, well, and I've done this and I've done that, and, you know, a sort of an extension of the Facebook, my life is great, you know, what's wrong with yours? Those are the ones that I, that I, <laughs> I, I don't have time for. But when I can find a blog post where someone is, is talking from the heart, about what's really impacting them and I can relate to it, that's, that's gold to me. And, and that, that isn't so much about excellent writing as about an ability to connect to the heart. And if somebody, and, and that's what I, I talk about too when I'm actually teaching English, if I can hear your voice, your, your authentic voice, and if you can write from the heart then you've then you've found it. Then you've found that that uh, that essence of a good writer, in my opinion. And 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 I would say to people, I know particularly if you're trying to earn a living as a writer, uh, it, that that writing with authenticity, it might not always translate into millions of bucks. But you, I think the impact you'll have on a reader, even though you might not have a ton of readers. It'll go a lot further than a thousand people reading your story, but none of them connect with what you're saying. That that that's that's been my experience. Now let's talk about your book. Is this way up your first book, Patty? You've been an English instructor for years. Is this your very first book? And what inspired you to write this particular book? <laughs> yes, this is my first book. Um, this way up is about helping. This way up is about helping women recover from various life transitions. It's it's a story of healing, and 
the reason I wrote this book, actually, I, I love this story, actually. I had been a, um, a teacher, as, as, I, as I've talked about, but when we moved to the small town in New Zealand, it's only 7,000 people. There's not a university here. I was teaching at the high school and um, not feeling extremely inspired. And more importantly, I got pregnant. And I wanted to be home with my children. So um, I had two young sons, and I was looking for something that, was, that, that I could do in a small town that would also inspire me and inspire others, because that's sort of my raison d'etre, is to inspire people. And so I started running workshops on a small scale, and I started running them for teenagers. And my, I love... Um, things about personal development, and so I created a work, set of workshops for teenagers and a lot about um, self-esteem and, and helping kids, not, not in academic subjects in school, but in thriving um, around, around things in the social arena. And I was teaching it for many years, and then um, one day when my son and I, Lucas, when Lucas, when Lucas was 12, he's now 22, when he was 12, I had taken him to the orthodontist in the bigger city near us, which is Auckland, and after he went there, we went to um, a uh, Borders coffee shop, which is what our outing was once a month. We'd go, we'd go to the dentist, and then we'd go to the um, coffee shop at Borders. He'd get a pile of books, I'd get a pile of books, and we'd ha he'd have hot chocolate, I'd have, I'd have coffee, and we'd look at these books and talk to each other. And it was a lovely mother-son day out. And I always got these self-help personal development books, and I'd read snippets of them to him. And at this particular but on this particular day, at this particular shop, I had read him something from this self-help book. I don't remember which one. And he just stopped and he looked me in the eye and he said, Mom, when are you going to write your own book? You've been saying that stuff to me for years. You've been teaching it in workshops. Everybody knows that, that you have such great things to say. When are you going to write your own book? And it just hit me. Oh, and Denise, I was just, uh, my mouth kind of dropped open, and I thought, this is it. If, if I want to have my sons keep believing in what I say, which is, you can do it, you know, just put your mind to it. If you've got something to say, <laughs> you can do anything and believe in yourself and all these things. And there he was <laughs> across the table putting it in front of me, and I thought, right, well, I, this is this is a challenge, and also it's something I had wanted to do, and so I started my book when we got home that day. Wow! And that was oh my years goodness! <laughs> isn't that something? Your, how how our kids uh, inspire change in us? Now, was it through research or questionnaires that you learned that women tend to feel purposeless? After a child or a spouse in the in their life leaves the divorce, the the death of a of a or transition of a spouse, a child grows up, they leave home, and now a woman is thinking, I have no idea what to do with, I don't have a clue what to do with my life now. Yeah. How did you come to that? How did you come to see that that's something that a lot of women do? Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh um, yeah. Well, mostly through – well, I, I have to backtrack just a bit. So I started writing that book, and I started the format. But very soon after um, that conversation with Lucas, um, while I was writing it, I was noticing a trend because I had, I had transitioned, Denise, from teaching um, and working with teens. I had transitioned into working with mothers in the small town. A lot of the mothers of the teenagers said, we want what you're teaching to our kids. When are you going to start doing that? And a good friend of mine, um, Deb Brock, and I started running some workshops called Fuel for Inspiration for women in our area and the Word spread quickly, and we started running these workshops throughout New Zealand. Um, and I kept hearing the same stories in these workshops from from women about mm. feeling like they had been giving themselves away 
piece mm. by piece for years and years to the point where there was nothing left and they felt bereft, lost, purposeless, and especially when their kids had left home and their whole, you know, focus and reason for being had been to be on with the kids and suddenly there they were and thinking, now what do I do? I've been giving myself away. And so it was mostly, your question was, where was I hearing it? It was mostly through these women talking about it. And also, to be honest, through my own friend group, because this, I'm at an age where this was happening. Both of my sons are now at, at, um, away at university. And their, um, and another experience is, um, I'm not sure the average age group of most of your listeners, but a lot of the women that I'm surrounded with, Denise, are in their late 50s, early 60s. We were known as the sandwich generation, the baby boomers. We were taking care of teenagers. We were taking care of aging parents. And we were, you know, busy doing both. And as women, able to do it very well because we multitask so amazingly well. And suddenly... Our children were growing up, moving away. Our parents were aging, dying, possibly getting Alzheimer's. And suddenly, instead of being a sandwich generation, we were unsandwiched. Our direction, our whole reason for being had disappeared. And then on top of it, Denise, is something, now I don't know how much you or your listeners have encountered this, but there's something called the gray divorce revolution going on and i'm hearing about it all the time through people that um, write to me from my blog or that i meet in workshops about people between about 45 50 to 75 that there's a huge spike in the divorce rate at this age really huge yes it's actually called the gray divorce revolution if you look it up online it's got hundreds of articles the huffington post has had several recently and it's across the world in the developing in the developed world in new zealand australia america canada across europe the divorce rate as a general rule for for most ages the divorce rate is going down however in the age group of 45 to 75, especially in that, you know, 55 to 70 age group, it's spiking and going crazy, all of these people divorcing. So women, I've been hearing it again and again, of this age group are experiencing this triple whammy. The kids are leaving home, their parents are dying, and now they're getting divorced. And so more than ever, they need some kind of direction and and focus, and this way up is exa- is exactly focusing on that. the The first half of the book is an allegorical tale about a woman who's going through this thing and um, experiencing this this pain and this directionlessness, and eventually works her way back to self, back to center. And the second half of the book is a twelve week day by day journaling workbook that help women and focus on women themselves so that they can come back to themselves. It focuses on the difficult feelings and it's a step-by-step way out for the reader, a step-by-step way out to feelings of, of joy and enthusiasm. Oh my goodness! It sounds like any anybody we know that uh, a lot of people end up in counseling, and men, it, that the spotlight for years I think was placed on men for women for the empty nesting when their children left home that there was a great struggle, and for men just trying to be twenty years old again and the mistakes that they yeah. made. But I, but I think the focus was more. I always thought on men the midlife crisis for men for women is when their children grow up and leave home. Um, Do you know of any cultures, I have to ask you this, uh, do you know of any cultures where women, let's say women are not raised, they're not programmed from childhood, we're programmed. We had a woman on Off the Shelf who she was talking to, she was 
abused by her husband who was a pastor and how some of our programming that a man is the head of the home, this is a woman's role, this is what God wants you to do. And there's just so much emphasis on that. Like you don't, to do anything else would be, you would really be going wrong. All this hard programming that's on on girls, by the time we become women, it's so ingrained in us. But have you ever studied or seen women, particularly in your travels, who were not from cultures where women were raised to take care, take care, take care of others, take care, take care of others, that's what you were created to do. Have you seen where that wasn't the case? And if so, do these women take on different roles than women in, from traditional cultures. I really would be curious to see if there or no, are there any cultures where girls aren't raised that your role is to take care of others, and a, a girl's not taught that. How do those women? Boy, Denise, I I sure have not. <laughs> uh, that's I think uh, to be honest, it certainly seems to me that it's that a lot of it is biological. I mean, we have the children. We, you know, we breastfeed or 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 that are the main caregivers when they're infants. We are are programmed, I think, biologically a lot of it to take care of them. The thing that I find most interesting is that. In a lot of Western cultures, in um, certainly in America, Canada, New Zealand, and most of Europe, what women are taught now is that not only should we be able to take care of our children and do it well, but we should also be able to work outside the home. Thank you very much. And please have a very clean, spotless home. And please be a great cook. And please make sure that you're oh, oh, oh so jolly and happy and do all that and make sure it's all done really well. And that's, <laughs> that's more what I see. It's not only are we supposed to, yes, be great caregivers, but also bring – and I remember there was a, um, a commercial when I was growing up on television that was for the uh, cigarette um, Virginia Slims, and the song was um, – I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, yes. and never let you forget you're a man. And and there she and there she is, or maybe it was for a perfume. I don't remember. Anyway, and there she is in her um, walking in the door with her briefcase, and then she walks in the door and she's got children and she's got a husband, and then she walks in and she cooks and her house is pristine, and there she is doing everything and doing it well. And I think that's been the real um the, the real thing that's that's come is that women yes are um uh, from from my experience traveling and meeting women yes we are the caregivers but now we're we're not only that we're supposed to be everything else as well and do it perfectly mm. now based on your experience patty um do you have you found that women tend to feel guilty when they pursue their dreams, and particularly when their children are young. I, I can remember you, you being an English teacher. My grandmother was maybe her late 60s, early 70s. She told me her lifelong dream, and I never knew it because she had never, ever, ever uttered a word about it, was to be a teacher, and she didn't pursue it. She said she thought, I'm too old. Uh, maybe she was in her 40s. Her kids were grown, but I'm too old. And she said she mentioned it to my grandfather. And I always thought they had a good marriage, but nobody has a perfect marriage. And she said he laughed because I don't know if she was in her 40s, and she said she just dropped it. And she mm. said that, that was she never pursued it. And it was the sadness when she said it. I was like, oh, my God. But that was my first experience with somebody who, with a woman who had a dream and said, I can't I can't do it. But have you found that many women feel guilty if they do pursue their dreams, they feel like they're doing something wrong? Oh, yes. Absolutely. And that and 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 I think you've hit the nail on the head that that guilt and and it certainly seems to be much more prevalent in women than in men. Um that guilt of wanting to do something for self and that we, again, going back to that whole programming thing, we're 
we seem to be more programmed to do for others and that that whole thing like i like i've talked about in the book and we were talking about earlier of giving away pieces of self and then um suddenly looking looking at self when when the kids are gone and things are over and saying my gosh where am i and and what you're talking about with your grandmother isn't that heartbreaking to come to that age in life and yes. say this was my dream, and and I didn't pursue it because, you know, I wasn't allowed. I felt too guilty. Uh, you know, it. I I couldn't for one reason or another. Absolutely, I hear that so often that um, we're we're expected to do things in a certain way. We're expected to get on a certain path that is going to be best for our husband's career or for the kids or for the, the wider family or the community. Um, you know, when you look at things like the PTA and things at school, you don't see as many men. And right. women are, there's an expectation. And there's only so many hours in the day. And if mm-hmm. you are consumed by guilt because you're not doing enough and you're not, you know, fulfilling this role as the perfect mother and the perfect housewife and the perfect woman, um, yeah, where is their time for self? <laughs> and yeah, so, right. Yeah, and I, I think, to be honest, Denise, tied in with this, I think that is absolutely one of the reasons for the um, startling number of women that experience depression. And um, mm. uh, there's a, a lot of research that's been done, and I did quite a bit of research um, on this for my book. There's so much research that's done about women in depression, about that feeling of lostness, of not enough, you know, that, that I'm not enough within my person. And then there's the guilt of not doing what would truly make my heart sing because I have to do so many other things. And there's such a close tie with um, depression and alcoholism as well. And I definitely believe that a lot of that comes from squelching those desires, squelching what, what that dream is. And as women, we're, we're taught, squelch, baby. Do this for <laughs> others because, yeah, it's true. Yeah. How can we turn this around, Patty? How, what are some steps that we can take? Can you just give us two to three? If, if, if somebody, well, let me start with this. Is there a way, are there any signs that a woman can see? She's, had, she's headed, she, she is giving so much of herself to others that the, the, her cup for herself is getting empty. She, do, she may not know it right now. Her kids are still there. She's busy. They could be in middle school or her husband's career. She's busy at work. She's busy. She doesn't know in the next 10 years she might crash. Are there any signs when she's in the throes of the busyness she can look out for and she can start to pump the brakes and turn it around? Mm. Wow, great question. I think I think that what one of the things that you said is <laughs> is is key, and that's that busyness. Um, because in this day and age, and especially as women, with that that constant busy busyness, because we're running to catch up, um, there is no time for self, and we aren't replenishing. And I think that that is absolutely key. Um, of that how often do we take time for self? Um, One of the, you asked a couple of questions there that are really key, and I'll try to get to both of them. Um, In terms of one of the things that that I'm passionate about, um, one of the things is uh, positive psychology, and there's been a lot of books written about it. There's just heaps online about positive psychology, and it's about tuning into what brings joy for yourself. Are you indeed using your own core strengths, the, your own things that make you vital and, and that, that bring you that joy and that cause you to feel alive? Are you tapping into those? Because 
And the way that you know, Denise, I mean, the way that, that you and I know this is there's, there's a quickening. There's an excitement. And, and we can touch that. It's, it's an internal essence. And, um, and, and gosh, I, I know when I'm hooked into that, into that flow. Um, and a lot of that for me is through creativity. Um, and that's what I, you said, what's one of the things that we can do as women. And that's one of the things I absolutely coach when I'm, when I'm working with women in, in workshops is tap into your creativity. And that's different for everyone. And a lot of times when I say, what are you doing to be creative? Um, a lot of people just sort of freeze like deer in the headlights, um, but I'm not creative. I can't because they think creativity means a uh, huge empty canvas and go paint a pretty picture. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about hooking into something that makes your heart sing with creativity. For me, I love words. I journal. I I write with words, but I also love music. I love going on walks on the beach and finding things and bringing them home and, and, and creating things with found objects. Um, I love, I love dancing with music, not, not (laughs) in parties per se, but just sort of moving, letting music move through me. Um, I, I'm not a gardener, but I know a lot of women who really um, find that that sense of flow in gardening. Now, what you what you were just talking about in your question is when we are that busy, because we do have kids. You mentioned kids in junior high, which is probably the most difficult time for motherhood and for the kids themselves. When kids are that age, that junior high age, there's so much. Um, chemical change going on in the brain. It's chaos for kids that age, and thus it translates to chaos for the mothers as well and fathers. Um, so well, you mentioned having kids at home, working outside the home, trying to take care of a home, trying to take care of a husband at times, um, you know, trying to keep a family fed, doing the shopping to do that, all of that busyness. By the end of the day, if you say, now go be creative, it would be like, yeah, right. I'm going to put my feet up, have a glass of wine, and watch television. Don't you tell me to be creative. So what we do is we, set, we have that feeling of exhaustion, and what our mind says to us is, I can't do one more thing. I'm going to sit in front of the television or sit in front of the computer screen, but that doesn't fill us up. That doesn't regenerate us. So that we've been busy all day, we finally just sort of say, "Ah, I'm done, have a glass of wine, turn on the television. That's not rejuvenating us. That's not filling us up. We fall asleep often in front of the TV or laying down and and just like exhaustion at the end of the day, and then we start again. And we haven't taken any time for self. So that was a long answer to your question. I hope I did actually answer it. uh, uh, The television is... It's a child, our babysitter as a child and, and and as an adult, we just we just uh, zone out, just want to see. Yeah. It, and and that not just women, but also also men do that as well. But not getting in, in your in response to the question, what I got was you're saying, don't be tricked by busyness and feel like you're being fulfilled just because you're doing a lot of stuff. You know, look look That's for right. look, pay attention to how. You you really feel? Do are you feeling a deep sense of fulfillment and happiness and and or joy uh, and peace? Or is, is that really coming? Or are you or do you feel like because you're busy that now you're valuable or or, or needed and that's all you're getting? Or do you get that deep like like you said when you engage in art and you get that deep sense of fulfillment? If that's missing in your life, then it might be a time to stop and 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 do some become more introspective. Can you tell our listeners, Patty, about specific topics that are covered in this way up? Mm. Thank you for asking, Denise. And 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 I just want to touch really quickly on something that you said because it was key, and that is pay attention. 
you said that right in the middle when you were saying, you know, pay attention to what, what's going on with you. And, boy, that's key, and that comes up in my book for sure, because that's what we lose sight of. We quit paying attention, and we quit paying attention to ourselves and what's going on within. We have a glass of wine. We turn on the television. We turn on the computer. We, we are so busy. We lose that sense of attention to what's going on for self, and that is key. So thank you for saying that. Um, so some of the things that I talk about in the book, now as I mentioned, it's a 12-week workbook. The second half of the book is the 12-week workbook, and it's day-by-day journaling. And some of the topics that I, that I touch on are just about one of the main things and tied into that pay attention is about getting back in touch with that real internal sense of self. Because what a lot of us have done is we have lost touch with that when we are that busy, when we're focusing only on the external. We aren't connected to that, that, that sense of self anymore to the point where we don't even know that we're not getting filled up. You know, when I say, can you, can you touch that intuition? Can you touch that inspiration? Can you touch that internal and, and oftentimes, more often than not, I get just blank stares, the sort of glassy-eyed look at me. And it's sort of like the, the very first thing that I do in the exercises is to sort of what I call a scan, going inside your body and sort of saying, can you feel it here? Can you feel it here? Because mm. intuition and, and that, um, that, that sense that something's wrong or Indeed, something's right, something's exciting. It starts within, and if we've lost touch with that, if we can't say, oh, my God, I've got a knot in my stomach, oh, I'm clenching my jaw, I've got a knot in my throat, or uh, I can barely breathe, if, if we can't get back into our body to sense that and pay attention, we become lost. And our bodies will tell us when things are not going well, but too often we don't listen. We get too busy or we don't want to know. And that's a lot of times when depression hits and when illness hits. But you asked some of the ways to, to get back in touch with that. So there, the, it's a 12-week course and workbook that is day by day for self. There's a lot of journaling, but the journaling does not mean you have to be a wordsmith. There are prompts in the journal about going within, and you can doodle, you can draw, you can write, you can use color, you can do it any way you want. It's about getting back in touch with self. And what I've done too, Denise, because I had a lot of women ask me that, that they wanted more guidance. So what I've done is I have put a lot of the exercises on YouTube. And so if you go to YouTube, you can ah. find my channel, Patty Clark, and I've done all of the visualizations. They're uploaded onto YouTube. And these quick scans that I was talking about, they're ah. loaded onto YouTube. So that the, the, my book leads you through these exercises to journal, and there are prompts. But when there are certain exercises that are visualizations that are more of a um, of a visceral activity that you do within self I've put those online so that you can be led through and uh, I'm, I'm so happy to say that on the visualizations the music which I find absolutely mesmerizing was written by, and um, and pl- composed and played by my son Devin and, and then okay, he overlaid it onto the visualization can you, can you go over uh, quickly, the the seven tools uh, for for transformation. The seven tools, as we, I, when I was uh, get, just to, just to uh, like a prelude to to your answer or the question, is when I was going through a layoff from this in 2009. One of the learning development uh, instructors, she gave me this um, a link to like this wheel that I just looked up, and it was called the Chain Cycle, and I forget who. Who developed this wheel? But it said that, in thinking about the seven tools for transformation, it said that we all go through these steps when we go through change. A lot of times we're probably not aware of it. But the third step, I forget what the third one was, they said that's where most people get stuck. 
and we'll we'll mm. we'll, go, we'll think we're progressing. We're talking about be, being busy. We'll go back to the first step and go back. Step one, two, three. Get stuck. Go back to the first step, <laughs> and we don't go all the way through. Denial is a part of it. Anger. You get angry. I can't believe this is happening to me. And then I forget what the third step where people get stuck. And then they start back. Step one, get stuck again. <laughs> and and don't go all the way through. And life in this world is nothing but change. So if you have, right. if you struggle, if you struggle with getting through change, it's like, oh wow, it's not going to be good. But can you tell us um, what are the seven tools for transformation for people who? We might have some listeners who are really, they might be really in need of some assistance right now. Well, the, um, the the seven tools, it, it all kind of dovetails throughout the story that's in the first half of the book, and, and it sort of goes up through the way, that I, the way that I've written it, and because I'm a very visual person, and so I wanted it to be a, a, sort of a visual guide through your body, to be honest, and so I've started at, at sort of at the base of of your torso and and that's where the the focus is and i i do use the words chakras for the seven areas of the body although Mm -hmm. as i say in the book that sounds really woo woo and i'm not but it's basically just talking about connecting to energy in your body and that's and that's the 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 most accepted sort of terminology and one of the things i keep saying in my book is oh my god this is not woo woo i promise this is science (laughs) but the new age the new age movement is sort of um taking it and some people say oh my god you know they cross their fingers in front of them "I, i don't do that woo woo stuff but this is very much about connecting into energy in your body, which is very scientific. So starting at the base of the torso, the, the tool one is about focusing on health. And it's using the tool of creative visualization because that is the best way to, to focus back into your body, back into self, because it, from my research and my own experience, it's one of the most powerful tools and powerful ways to get back into connecting into that into your inner self and focusing on health because if we don't have our health first it's hard to focus on anything else so that's the first tool feeling vibrantly fit and healthy and doing that visualization within. And as I said, that is on YouTube, and you can, you can get the guidance on that so it doesn't feel too out of the ballpark for people that have never done this. Um, the second tool is around goal setting. It's around starting to think about what is it that I want, especially for women who have focused outside of themselves for so long. And it's not just goal setting like business-style goal setting. This is heart centered goal setting it's around um Mm. focusing your energy around your around your uh, belly button area and it's thinking about um what what makes me get excited and and why when i talk about heart-centered goal setting it's that why what is it that i want sort of like your grandmother was teaching what what is it that that would make my heart sing that gets me excited and there's a lot of i sort of separate life into different areas because it can feel just too overwhelming to try and think of all of it but it's that focus on yeah what is it for me that would get me excited again and then the third tool is around positive psychology and happiness it's focusing in the solar plexus if you're when when you do the quick scan focusing in seeing like a bright yellow sun focusing through you and identifying ways in which things that that get you excited, things that make your heart sing, ways in which you can get into that zone, get into that focused place where you can get lost in doing something that is meaningful for you. Again, a lot of focus on self because we as women have focused externally for so long because only once we are filled up 
can we give? Because otherwise we we we'll be deplete. Mm-hmm. The fourth area is around our heart, and that's a, a meditation on love and compassion. And the very first piece is love yourself first, feeling that love. And we as women so struggle with loving ourselves first. We really struggle with that, Denise. We feel like we can be kind to our neighbors, have no problem, you know, unconditional love for our children. We'll give and give to friends and community, but when it comes to actually focusing on love and compassion for ourselves, it's very hard. And the meditation itself is incredibly powerful. It's, um, it starts internally focusing on love and then moving out into those that are within our realm and then the meditation itself goes much further and it talks ultimately about healing the planet and I think that's something that the entire world needs to start focusing on more is is loving Mother Earth. Uh, And then the next tool is coming up toward um, toward the throat and this is focusing a lot on creativity focusing on learning about how to um, find that which we get excited about with creativity and also the, the, the tool that I, that I have on the meditation on YouTube is called the Frame of Forgiveness. And forgiveness is a huge tool. You were asking um, what are some of the things that I could recommend with, um, with women for sort of getting back in touch with self. And forgiveness is massive and as, as tying into the other things I was saying, forgiving ourselves would be the first thing to do, which, again, is so hard. Um, we're, we hold ourselves accountable to so many things, and inside of our heads we're so harsh to ourselves. We're our harshest critics. So there's that. There's a meditation on forgiveness. Um, the sixth tool is around gratitude. And uh, focusing on gratitude, such a powerful tool. When women say, okay, what's one thing I can do just today, something easy? And my answer is always, before you get out of bed in the morning, think of of three things you're grateful for. You don't even have to write them down. Just as you're laying in bed, before you get up, start it as a daily practice. Think of three things you're grateful for. Because by that's, that's changing neuroplasticity. You're starting to focus on the positive instead of the negative. And by doing uh, that, we actually change our brain. Neuroplasticity is a proven science fascinating topic. We don't have time to go into it now. But it's about changing our neural pathways to focus on positive instead of negative. The simplest way is think of three things you're, you're grateful for before you even get out of bed. And then the last tool is about connecting to the source, to our source, and it's about touching into our own inspiration and then learning to take action on inspiration, which is so important. So it sounds like, and thank you for what you, what you share and the work you do. This way up, again, to our listeners, you can find some of the videos that Patty Clark, the author of This Way Up, on YouTube, but also at her website. But it sounds like, this book is for people who, it's not a book you just read. I remember Tony Robbins years ago, he said people would, or it was him and maybe someone else or, or him and somebody else, they said that people would come up to them sometimes and say things like uh, either they went to the, a workshop or we got your book and nothing happened. And then they would ask, well, did you do the, did you do the exercises? No. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or... <laughs> or how many people, uh, Some these people have done a lot of study of the mind. They don't just speak. And they said, um, that I forget how many people buy books that, are, that can help them transform their lives, and they only read like the first one or two chapters and put the book down. And then you're still expecting this massive change. So it sounds, from listening to you, your book is a book for someone who – either consciously or not, or unconsciously, is ready, ready for change. And I would say somebody, like you're talking about commercials, there was a commercial, a hair commercial, like, but you're worth it. And you are worth living your best life. So it's, it, it sounds like there is going to be some work, but when you finish with the work, you you 
it, it, you will really be probably happy, pleased, and maybe even surprised at the results. This is work for a, a, a person on themselves. It's not like you're reading a novel. Reading, reading your book is not like reading a novel. And some people, if they, again, with what Tony Robbins said, if you just reading, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm up for that. When you start having to dig and do that self-work, that's where some people will back away and go, nah. But then they still want change. That's one of the reasons that I made my books the way I did in two parts. The first half is a tale. It's very easy to read. It, it reads like a novel. It's, it's light, and it's, it focuses on a woman that most of us women can relate to. It's a very relatable story. And then the second half was a workbook follows the same journey that the protagonist took so we saw her change i mean that's that's my hope is that the reader sees the change in the protagonist in the tale and says i want that i want that and so they follow the same path and can can then start this transformational change for self but as you said it is work we have to choose to Follow that path and believe that, as you said, we are worth it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I have to ask you this. We only have a few more minutes, and I, I got through maybe a third of the questions I was going to ask you. But <laughs> what is the difference, Patty? We hear so much about visual, visualizing, and our minds never stop. They're working when we sleep. That's why we have dreams. What is the difference between daydreaming and visualizing? Visual, in my opinion, um, and I, this, I'm not, don't quote me, but in my opinion, visualizing is more focused. Daydreaming, we're, we're sort of, we're still kind of consciously aware of our, of our surroundings, and we're just sort of going off on a, oh, no, 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 um, oh, this might happen and this might happen. Whereas visualization is very, very focused. We are focusing on something in particular, either on healing healing ourselves or focusing on a goal that we wish to achieve or focusing on a transformation or on a job or something that's very focused and much more deliberate. Whereas a daydream, in my opinion, seems to be more of your mind's taking you on a little stroll. Ah, okay, okay. Um, can you tell our re- our listeners how they can get copies of this way up, and is it available in ebook and in print format? Yes, it is. It's available uh, in ebook. It's available um, as a paperback. It's available on Amazon, of course. It's available on um, Barnes and Noble online. It's available on um, also online at. IndieBound, and then it's available in bookstores. It's available at Barnes and Noble. It's available at many independent bookstores. That's where I love people to shop, if possible. But um, the way, the best way to find it, to be honest, Denise, is to go to thiswayatbook.com. I've got links online, and then there's also um, a tab with events on the website, and it can tell you um, I'm going on a uh, book tour. I, I start my book tour next month, and I'll be traveling across the United States going to different um, independent bookstores and doing events. So you can find those events on my website and also um, at independent bookstores, which you know we all have to support to keep them alive yes. and thriving. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I told Patty, I told her this, the shows go by so quickly I think I asked a third of the questions I was going to ask. It just <laughs> the, the off-the-shelf shows they just blaze by, and I we had. I am just so appreciative. We've had another wonderful guest here, Patty Clark, and for our listeners, her the website. There are two of them. You can go to thiswayupbook.com, and it's spelled exactly as it sounds. Again, that's thiswayupbook.com to get information about the This Way Up book, or you can. And you can also go to pattyclark.org, and that's P-A-T-T-I-C-L-A-R-K.org. She is coming to the United States. She's in New Zealand. It's early in the morning, so we really appreciate her where she is in New Zealand. But she is coming to the United States doing a book tour at independent bookstores. Check out her website, and, and hopefully you can go and meet her in person. This show will be in our archives for those who came in late 
to the show. It will be in the archives. You can listen to it in its entirety. We, we truly thank Patty for being here with us. And remember, as we said, you you are you are worth it. You are worth it. And if you're thinking about quitting, remember why you started. Remember why you started in the first place. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. We'll see you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. Where you, we will bring you another phenomenal guest. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Patty Clark. Uh, remember this way upbook.com and pattyclark.org. Patty, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thanks so much. Bye bye.